Some first-home buyer incentives are only paid if you buy a brand new property. But these are the riskiest properties for first-home buyers to buy, particularly off-plan apartments. Before you go down this path, you really need to know what the risks are. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first-home buyers who want to move it along and become homeowners. But most importantly, it is for home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mum. And that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 45 years experience to share with you and bucket loads of stories and avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure you get unbiased and real information you can rely on. We've got loads of free tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll get access to our free webinar, How to Buy Your First Home with the Right Amount of Debt. You'll also find the holy grail of home buying education, Your First Home Buyer Guide, the online course of people who want to be educated home buyers. We have created this for you to help you get on the right path to home ownership for your first home and beyond. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You, of course, know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field who takes the time to understand your personal situation. We've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording. Things change rapidly. So always check with the relevant government authority or your trusted advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today, we're going to run through 10 reasons why you should not buy an off-the-plan apartment for your first home. All right. Good 10 list too, Veronica. Is this a top 10 or a bottom 10, depending on how you want to look at it? Yeah, good point. <laughs> All right. In no particular order. You can lose money. That's number one. We're just going to put it right out there. The number one risk. You can lose money. Well, as you say, it's not in order. You know, buyers pay a premium when they buy a brand new property. And this means, you know, a bit like when you're buying a brand new car, the minute you use it, the minute you drive over that driveway, it starts to lose money. Now, ultimately with property, we hope that it starts to appreciate at some point. But how long should you allow for this to happen? Yes. And you know what? With brand new apartments, one of the big issues is scarcity. And when we say scarcity, that means that there's lots and lots of other properties that are being built and ongoing. And then so this building's finished this year, then next year's another building very similar and so on. So the longer that goes on for in the in the area that you're buying in, the longer that potentially you could be sitting on a property without it starting to make any money. And research a few years back um, and so that that's before it makes money, but often it could lose money. And go backwards. And go backwards during that time. And a, a few years back, there was some research that showed that in Melbourne, a unit was four and a half times more likely to sell at a loss than a house was. In Brisbane, uh, that research showed that units were five and a half times more likely. Um, and then that was- I'll be- give you an example of that, yeah? actually, Veronica. Uh, we, we know of someone, we managed a property that we did not purchase for an investor and they bought for $580,000 off plan directly from the developer and they were given a rent guarantee of $550 a week for 12 months. Immediately that rent guarantee finished, that rent dropped to $450 a week 
And when they went to sell that property, they couldn't get an offer above $445,000 and they still own that property and it's still and, and that was purchased um, about eight years ago in a high-density area where there was a lot of complexes still to be built and that property still has not made, is still not worth what they paid for it. They're stuck because they, they would have to put money in to get out of the property. They have to pay to get out. And this is what we do not want you as first home buyers finding yourselves in this situation. And certainly the situation in Perth and Darwin um, was pretty dire, really dire. In fact, Canberra units uh, with this research was 7.4 times more likely to sell at a loss than houses. Now, in Sydney, when this research was done, it wasn't so bad, but that's because that was sort of before a massive boom in, in unit construction. So we may well have that situation in Sydney too now. But not all units are bad investments. It's just that these cities at this point of time, this research was done, had all had a huge surge in new developments in the years leading up to the research. So you've got to be so careful when buying off the plan um, because you know losing money is a very real, it's a reality for many, many people. Yeah, absolutely. Look, the second risk that people have to think about is settlement risk. Now, this sounds a bit like, what? You know, what What in the world are you talking about, ladies? What is settlement risk? Um, now, let's go into that because it, what it means is when you purchase a brand new off-the-plan apartment, it may not settle for a couple of years, a year, a long time anyway. And pre-approvals for finance approval only last three months. Yet you could be waiting a couple of years for this building to complete and anything can happen in that time. And it does. If the market takes a dive, right, the valuations of brand new apartments at settlement start coming in under the contract price. Mm -hmm. And this means that the bank won't lend as much as they originally said they would. And you've got to find the extra money somehow. And then you sort of got to, you've got to find extra money to finish purchasing a property that you know is worth less than what you paid for it. Ouch. It hurts. And if your personal circumstances change or, you know, interest rates rise while the building's being constructed, the ma the bank might actually not lend you the same amount of money as they would when you signed the contract. And, you know, that can be a really difficult situation to face, particularly if you've only got a 20% deposit originally. Or less even. So you signed up with a 10%, you know. And if you can't complete the sale, right, you're going to lose that deposit or sometimes the developers will actually sell you a smaller apartment in the same complex, which is not necessarily a good outcome, you know, but people will go, oh, well, rather than lose everything, I'll go and buy a, a one-bedroom shoebox uh, that has a outlook over the garbage dump next door. Um, <laughs> so you basically, they'll say as a, as a lifeline, they go, oh, I tell you what, I've got this other one that I haven't been able to sell. I'll give you that one for cheaper. And <laughs> anyway, there's, other financial penalties as well. So I give you a, you know, a, a real example again. If you can't settle a property because the valuation ha hasn't come in at contract price and you haven't got the funds to top up to actually get the transaction through, that developer may actually have other financial remedies against you. For example, if you had con a contract to pay $500,000 but the property was only worth $450,000, they could actually go after you for that loss of profit of $50,000 in addition to your lost deposit. So there's pretty big financial risk there. Huge. 
Now, the third reason why we say you should not buy off the plan is because there's always a big question mark around, are you getting what you're actually paying for? Now, you're buying off a drawing, right? You can't walk inside and even a display apartment is only a mock-up. Yep. Buying off the plan risks include getting less than what you expected. There's usually a provision for variations in the contract of sale. And what that means is the developer is able to say, look, maybe there'll be a 5% reduction in the size of the apartment. And you might think, well, that's a really small amount. But imagine if it's a 5% of something that's really quite important, like the width of the bedroom. And suddenly, instead of getting a queen size bed in that bedroom, you can only get a double. You know, that's that's actually an okay thing under that clause in the contract to do that. Um, so, you know, it c- they might substitute appliances. So if you're thinking you're buying um, high-end appliances, they may substitute those for a lot, unless it's really specified in the contract exactly what model that will be. And they often don't. And they don't. <laughs> and, and they might well say, well, that model's not available anymore. And where do you go from there? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes uh, apartments are offered for sale before the plans have even been approved. And you might think that it's going to be completed in two years, but delays getting the approval could add years and years and years to your wait time. And depending on what the sunset clauses are and all that sort of stuff, it's all very complicated. But another thing about are you getting what you think you're getting is um, I heard a story about somebody who looked at a floor plan. And so remember, you're buying off a drawing and there was this round sort of circle thing in the middle of the living room, which they thought was a coffee table. It was actually an enormous pole in the middle of their living room. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. That's terrible. Imagine that. It is terrible. God, imagine where do you, how do you place your furniture around that and who's the, who's doing this, you know, side to side around the pole as you try and watch the to TV. Watch television. That's <laughs> <laughs> giving you many to pole dancing, doesn't it? Oh, number four. Do you have a false sense of security? Now, Buyers don't know what can go wrong. We always talk about you don't know what you don't know. And and that's particularly true with an unbuilt building. And often they think that brand new is lovely because nobody else has used the oven and soiled the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) And also there's this sort of mistaken belief that, well, it's brand new, so uh, nothing would be wrong with it. You know, it's a bit like buying a brand new car. We mentioned earlier that the analogy that you drive out the showroom, you immediately lose money, but you think there's nothing wrong with a brand new car. Like the brakes should work perfectly. You know, the, the, you know, there should be nothing wrong with a brand new car. Well, it's not quite the same with a brand new building. In fact, there's quite a lot of things that can be wrong with a brand new building. And often people think that they're covered by a warranty, but in many cases they're not. For example, in New South Wales, there's no homeowner's warranty if the building is higher than three storeys. But if you ask most buyers if they're aware of that, you'll find they don't have a clue. Yeah, and if you don't have a good conveyancer, they can give you that information or the conveyancer is expecting you to ask the questions that you don't know that you need to ask, then you might find yourself in a bit of a bit of a tough situation. Buyers think someone in authority, whether or not they've heard of a building certifier, checks the quality of the workmanship. Um, and they'd been ad- they would be absolutely astounded if they knew that a certifier only inspects, and I guess this is in New South Wales, Veronica, 10% of the job. Now, there are building codes and, and reg- there's, there's national building codes. There's also localised or state-based building regulations and building legislation. So, yes, the, the, you know, the certifiers, they can't. You know, no building as a, as a full-time certifier to go through every single thing that needs to be checked. So, for example, waterproofing. 
And so they don't check every single waterproofing, every single bathroom. They will check 10%, but they may not even inspect them. They might just look at the documentation. And they're, they're not even spot checks. They're not even like random, okay, right now I want to check, you know, your quality. The builder actually arranges the inspections. <laughs> so a lot of the onus is on the builder or the, the subcontractors to do this work to the standards. Um, but but in a lot of cases, the checks and balances to see that that has been done would surprise a lot of buyers how low that level of checks and balances actually are. And the sign-offs happen after the work is complete. So, And there's no actually really nobody checking how things are being done along the way. Now, um, you know, we'll we'll move on to number five and then we'll explain sort of what's happening in that space. But what around this, this, this number four, this fourth reason why you should not buy off the plan is because basically most people don't know any of this stuff. They don't know that these are risks. And because you don't know what you don't know, it's just that you, it's you basically, was it angels rush? No, Phil's rushing with angels fear to tread. That's what you're doing, right? Number it five. It feels secure. Am I right? It feels secure because it's brand new. It's not Number five, how many buildings have defects, Veronica, blow our mind? Well, this is really, really scary. And and there was a report um, written by an academic named Dr. Nicole Johnson, who we have actually interviewed on the podcast. Um, and she put together this report some years back called An Examination of Building Defects in Residential Multi-Owned Properties. Sounds very serious and is very serious. They analysed 3,227 defects across 212 buildings in New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland, and the results were alarming. 85% of the buildings analysed had at least one defect across multiple locations. Now, obviously, some of these defects were minor, but some were major. And when you dug deeper into that report, um, we could draw the conclusion that New South Wales at the time was the riskiest state in which to buy a new apartment because 96 7% of buildings included in that report had at least one defect in place. Um, Victoria looked amazing, looked really positive, 74%, which is still three quarters, and Queensland, a little bit better, 71%. Now, in New South Wales, we have a building commissioner who has been making major improvements in this area, but the problem has by no means been eradicated. That's just a tough one because you don't know what you don't know. A building inspection that you have a cons as a consumer isn't going to uncover this stuff because these sorts of things can happen well away from your individual unit. And that leads us to number six risk, which is water problems. Yeah, so you see, you see, it's commonly understood that water causes the majority of building defects. It finds its way into the building through perforations in waterproof membranes, skylights, garden beds, balconies flat roofs, showers, you know, you name it, water will find the path of least resistance. It does. <laughs> and when it gets in, it causes so many problems, you know, whether it's rust or mould or peeling paint or termite infestations. And, you know, you would think, oh, that doesn't happen in a brand new building, but I I've seen it. It's horrific. And sometimes, though, the damage can go undetected for long periods and then when it is discovered, the, rectif the rectification process can take months or even years. So first you've got to work out the cause, who's responsible. Then you have to go and try and find those people who are responsible to get them to address it. And they may not. And you might have to have legal action. And there might not be a warranty. And all the while, you're living there, dealing with this, mm, living yeah. in there. Particularly if it's mold, it, it can have such an effect on your health and your, and your family's health. 
Yeah. And it's very hard to get to the bottom of it. And there's no compensation for you as a purchaser um, if you can't find who is responsible and who should fix it. Yeah. It's horrible. This Number is an interesting seven. one. Yeah. So I know this is a bit scary. This, well, they're all scary. This is particularly scary. The hidden risk of fire. Yeah. In her report, Dr. Johnson noted that the second most prevalent defect was related to the fire protection construction system. Now, what what is that, really? That's that's what stops fire from moving from one unit's burnt toast or, or, or fire breaking out with the bacon cooking to all the other units. So a total of 13.6% of defects were found in her sample. Now, what's really alarming about this, oh, pardon, pardon the pun, <laughs> is, is that many of these appear to have been discovered by accident. I know. And so... Because a lot of that fire protection hardware is actually concealed behind the walls. So a defect is often not discovered unless an investigation is being uh, conducted into another defect, quite often water leaks, you know, you know, in a, in a bathroom wall. They might have to peel back the tiles and look behind and see what's happening with the pipes and think, oh, hang on a minute, there's these, you know, fire collars or whatever they're called. They're not there or they haven't been installed properly or whatever. And you think, Jesus. So, you know, the person conducting the investigation also needs to know enough to recognise that there's something not right, you know, so they can, if they don't recognise it, they'll just fix up the wall again and nobody's any the wiser. Nobody's any the wiser. So I guess how many of these defects um, are, are there undiscovered or undetected? Another pun. It's <laughs> The only way some apartment owners will know their fire protection system is defective is in the event of a catastrophic fire event, and this is simply horrific to contour. You know, too horrific. Gotta say it again. Too horrific. This is simply too horrific to contemplate, especially when they've bought in good faith. And that's the problem with all of this. Every buyer buys in good faith, you know, and you just could not imagine this sort of stuff. But over the years, I've interviewed people that have been caught out and been trapped in these situations and this is what we want to protect you from number but eight. I think actually just going back to that I think I think the difference is that when you buy an established property you almost kind of expect that there'll be some you know idiosyncrasies and some challenges and all that sort of thing I think the thing about buying brand new and particularly off the plan where it hasn't even been completed is there is this unreal expectation that everything should be perfect and I guess what we want you to really understand is that Everything isn't. You should not expect that everything's going to be perfect because there are so many examples, and we're going through them now, to open your eyes to what can go wrong and what the risks are. And let me tell you, like I bought a brand new house a long time ago um, when I was a sales agent, and and I did get a building and pest inspection, but I remember all of my colleagues and even myself at the time going, what are you doing that for? It's brand new. There'll be nothing wrong with it. <laughs> yeah. Famous last words. Famous last words. Right. Number eight, defective materials. Right. Now, along the same sort of theme as before, we were talking about fire. One defect that has been responsible for dozens of deaths is flammable cladding. Now, you've probably all heard about it, but fancy having buildings clad in a product that actually assists the spread of fire in a part of the building that typically has no fire protection, which is yeah. the exterior. Yeah, the outside. Horrific. Yeah. Who would think that our homes could literally be death traps? And and these are often, this cladding has, has been found to be on high-rise apartments. So we're not just talking about, you know, a house where you can possibly get out the window and, 
and get yourself out out of harm's way. They, these are high-rise apartment complexes. You also can't get out the window if basically the bits of cladding on either side of the window are basically on fire. <laughs> like it's just you can't even jump. Um, I shouldn't make light of that. Actually, that's you know <laughs> I'm not trying to make light of it. But thankfully, the use of that product is now prohibited, right? But they've got to get this still. I think hundreds of buildings in Australia anyway that still are clad in this stuff and there's this whole program to, to get it replaced. So if you're buying off the plan now, you should, and I say should, be safe in, in not expecting it to be clad with flammable cladding. But there's other products that have been discovered to have been faulty as well that have been used in, you know, widespread in new buildings. And this is just quite alarming um, because until we can be confident that our regulators have this in hand, you know, I'm talking faulty electrical wiring, I'm talking about glass that explodes under certain conditions, like you don't want your, your balustrades to suddenly explode. I mean, if our regulators haven't got a good handle on all the different new products that are coming into this country and being used in these buildings, that is a huge risk for buyers. Yeah, and, and sometimes it is just the builder who has to make a declaration about the safety of, of certain products. Um, it's not even anyone that will actually check over these things to check that they, they do actually comply with Australian standards. So, again, really concerning. Um, now, number nine is the physical and psychological well-being. You know, there is a risk to your well-being. It doesn't take a genius to imagine just how devastating it would be to find yourself trapped in a situation where you've lost money. After spending so much time saving for the deposit, probably turning yourself inside out, looking at dozens and dozens and dozens of properties, or, you, you know, it, it, I just can't fathom how that would feel to you psychologically, Veronica. No, I mean, and also, so you've gone and you've done what you think is a wise thing. You know, like you, you've saved and then you've bought this property and then you move into it and you go, oh, my God, I've already lost money. Like, I feel pretty stupid. And, you know, despite the fact you're not alone, heaps of people do this, um, you know, it, it can't be nice feeling. So you're going to be feeling, you know, beating yourself up against about that. And then if you manage to buy a property that's impacted by these other things we're talking about, it's unsafe to occupy. Yeah, or safety you can't. Know, some buildings, actually, the defects are so bad that the residents have had to move out. So then you can't even occupy the building that you bought for your home. I mean, that's an extreme, but it's common enough. Mm, yeah, you've got to bring out the buckets every time it rains. Well, there's that, or you do live in it and you've got to bring out the buckets. So either you've got to move out, you can't live in it, or you do live in it and you've got to deal with, you know, yeah, bringing out buckets. <laughs> um, or you have to go through a process of instigating legal action and years of litigation, or the mold's making your kids sick, or someone's injured or killed during to your, you know, to your home not living up to its job, uh, providing you with a secure and safe place to live. That's not good for your mental health either. No, it's not. And in your home is your sanctuary. So if if in your sanctuary you're feeling distressed because of something that you couldn't see or couldn't have anticipated and it should have been dealt with or managed or overseen or, or built in a better way, it just, it, it, you know, it impacts your, your life, your family, your marriage, all of those areas. Now, finally, number 10 risk is that you've got to take them to court. <laughs> you know, there's not a great deal of, um, it, it is a very hard process to go through where you do find these sorts of problems in a brand new build. Well, because the problem is that under the current system, pretty much always buyers end up carrying the can. And that means you've got 
big corporations that have done their bit, they've made their money and they've moved on, and the individuals have got to, you know, bandy up and the owners' corporations have got to start, um, you know, launching uh, legal processes and all the rest of it. You know, the developer owns a property for a relatively short period of time you know, and therefore they don't share the individual owner's concerns about the ultimate life of the building. And there might be a statutory period within which they, you know, shoulder some responsibility. But, you know, in, in some cases it was only two years and like the one building in Sydney, for instance, Mascot Towers, it started sinking after it was 12 years old. And my understanding is that the owners, and that, well, God, when was that now? I think that might have been 2019 maybe 2020, it's a number of years ago now. Pre-COVID. Last time I looked, the owners still weren't living in the building. Unbelievable. Isn't terrible. It? Terrible. Um, yeah. And and look, there are some developers, we're not putting all developers in the bucket of doing the wrong thing. Not we're talking about stretch. risks. We're talking about risks. All right. So some developers know that people fear these risks and they actually stay on themselves as um, the body corporate managers or the on-site managers to complexes while those complexes bed in so that they can deal with things like water ingress that wasn't expected. So it is very important to check out the individual developer, you know, their their history, all of those sorts of things. Um, Because in the absence of homeowners warranty insurance, when things go wrong, owners have to litigate. They have to take these things to court. But who are they going to litigate against? It's common practice for developers in in some states and some locations, or builders to set up you know two dollar companies and wind them up when the job's finished. So there actually doesn't end up being anyone to sue. So you know a massive risk is potentially working with or buying from a developer or builder who has no history and you can't find them once they've sold their product. Yeah, look, you know we've dealt with, we've bought and investigated a number of buildings over the years where they've. You know, they might be 10 years old or 20 years old even, and the owners have had to, they've tried to litigate or they might have even won a case and they, they've been awarded a certain amount of money to rectify, but it hasn't covered all the things, you know, the cost of everything. So, so you know, a commercial decision often has to be made at some point to say, look, you know, to keep fighting for everything is going to take how much longer and there's still risk that we won't get it, et cetera, et cetera. So often a commercial decision is is made to take less. And so the owners and via the owners corporation or in New South Wales or whichever state you're in, the equivalent has to then find a way to pay that money. So, so this is why we talk about buying off the plan for a first home buyer is particularly risky because you've got all of these things that can go wrong and have gone wrong often enough to have lots and lots of evidence around it. And so that's what we're warning you from. As as Megan said, we're not saying every single developer is a shark. Absolutely not. And in fact, if you're really hell-bent on going down this path and and buying off the plan, then you need to do heaps and heaps and heaps of due diligence on the developer and on the builder. And you want to make sure that they have built other buildings, that they have been responsible and gone back and rectified things and actually been, you know, see how they handle issues. Exactly right. And there are some that actually are proud of their product and have an amazing brand, all right? So they're out there, but the risks are also out there. And, uh, you know, I don't know the proportion of good ones versus bad. I know in New South Wales there's now a register that's been created, so that's to give consumers confidence. But it's 
It's actually the thing is, you don't hear about the good ones. You hear about the bad ones. Because you do. That's what makes the news. Uh, and it's very difficult to get this information if they don't have a register. Let me tell you, because you know we're in our business. So I'm not sure about you, Megan, but when a property, when a, a apartment is less than 20 years old, we want to go and get extra information. But usually we draw a, brain, a blank, and we're looking at this stuff all the time. It's very difficult to find it. Yeah. And particularly if it's a new developer or a developer who hasn't got a lot of runs on the board, you've got to ask why and and are they going to be there for the long term? Because it's not just when you purchase it. There There is a period of time where defects might apply. As you say, there's warranties and, and insurance in different states. Everything is different in every state. So you need to understand what cover is available for you in your state, how extensive it is, um, what, happen- what are they going to do, how do you actually get action if there are issues in multiple units or just one unit or in communal areas. There's an awful lot to think about when you're going into something that hasn't even been built yet. Yeah. Now, one final thing I'll mention, which is about the price you pay for a brand new apartment. Now, when you go and buy um, an existing property, right, you can work out what it's worth. There's a process you can do. In fact, we've got a free mini course you can do. Um, we'll have the link in the show notes if you want to do our free mini course that teaches you how to, to price a property. And when you're buying an existing property, you can go and look at comparable sales and work out pretty much where that, what's a fair and reasonable price to pay for that property, right? And then you've got to negotiate with the agent. And, um, you know, you depending on how good you are, you either pay more than you need to or less than you need to or you don't get it. So there's all these different options, right? When you're buying brand new, the price is set because it's it's more like you go into a shop and you just buy, you know, a, a, a property off a shelf. Basically, it's got a listed price. It's got an asking price, got a list price. And that's got nothing to do with market value. And you, they're typically, they're more also than if you looked at the equivalent property um, in a nearby street. So just a quick note around our course, Your First Home Buyer Guide. If you are buying a property and you go to negotiate it's very easy to throw away thousands and thousands of dollars. Very easy. This course only costs you $990 and you get direct access to us to help guide you through your negotiations. And trust me, you will give an agent a hell of a lot more than $1,000 if you don't know what you're doing. So I just want you to encourage you to check out the course. At the very least, if you haven't done our free mini course on how to price a property, do that and start that way. You otherwise, you run the risk of blowing heaps more than 990 bucks. In this episode, we've only touched on a tiny part of the huge amount of things you need to know to become an educated first home buyer. There is so much more for you to do. You can learn all of the steps in the right order and avoid all of the mistakes that others have made in our 10-step online course for first home buyers. If you'd like to learn more about the right process and avoid making rookie errors, become an educated home buyer. Head over to the website, check out your first home buyer guide, the course that we have created for you. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you've liked what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. It helps other people find us. And of course, I know it's a bit cringy, but we're going to ask for five stars. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you've found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with more priceless stuff.